What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Well, really, it's a hybrid, actually. A little holiday special here. It's actually a hybrid episode of GBB Live as well as the Next Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I'm joined by the host of the Grizz Next Gen Podcast, the manifester of the Christmas Day matchup between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. That is coming up on Sunday, Bryson Wright. Bryson, how's it going, man? It's going great. Always great to be on here. I think I think the first time I was on this was in like February, like literally the first week I started working here. So yep. it's kind of it's it's kind of cool to come back on now. Hey, absolutely. And you know, now you, you have your podcast, you're doing great with yeah. it. And obviously one thing I really like with yours too, uh, before we get into it, I like what you do is like you do get, you know, like your Drew Hills, your DeMichael Coles, all that, but also your Getting Grizz Twitter in the mix. I mean, you're you're kind of like the president of Grizz Twitter, I guess, for the Grizz Next Gen crowd at least. But yeah, no, um, Bryson, you're doing great stuff for uh, Grizzly Bear Blues, and also congrats on the uh, graduation over uh, over the weekend. Um, yeah, and- thank you. I appreciate you, Parker. And I, I mean, I got to give you some congratulations too, because I know you just got back out from your honeymoon. Oh yeah. So congratulations to you as well on the marriage and everything like that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And so. Before we really get into uh, the beef of this podcast, I want to let you know that you can find the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network with GBB Live, the Next Gen Podcast, the Starting Five Podcast, the Core Four Podcast, and Grizzly Bear Bets. Wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all you got to do is search Grizzly Bear Blues and you will find it. And uh, Grizzly Bear Blues is also SB Nation's blog covering the Memphis Grizzlies, which you can find on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And so, Bryson, let's just jump right into it. So after a seven-game winning streak, the Grizzlies have dropped two games in a row on the road, losing to the shorthanded Oklahoma City Thunder, which was really a trap game. Uh, I kind of see it as like, oh, we haven't traveled in two weeks. We're playing a Thunder team that doesn't have Trey Gilgis Alexander. But, man, coast, whatever. And then also, too, they lost uh, Tuesday night to the Denver Nuggets on national TV on TNT. Obviously, I didn't get to see the first game, but I did get to see the second game. But first, I want to just kind of see ask you, like, what, it, what did you see in those two losses of where kind of the Grizzlies really struggled there? Yeah, so I'll start with the Thunder game. I'll I'll say it like this. The Grizzlies kind of got grizzlied right there because that's something you usually see the Grizzlies do to other teams. You got multiple guys out. Uh, especially your best player, Shea Gilders Alexander, Josh, no Josh Giddy, a bunch of other guys out, and those those younger players. I mean, if there's one thing OKC has, they have a lot of talented young players, and they had some guys step in and play some big minutes. Uh, and it just seemed like they weren't locked in at the beginning of the game, and they gave up a lot of open threes, which has been the problem really on the road most of the year. At home, they've been a lot better on defense, uh, just overall. But whenever they go on the road, it seems like they get way worse at guarding the three-point line. The uh, other teams are sh- hitting, like, the most they've hit all season on the Grizzlies some some of these times. And I think uh, that that was a big thing in really both of these games is it's guarded three-point line. And, yeah, I think – but the, it's going to – it starts in the first quarter. Like, in both of those games, they got out to pretty big deficits in the first and second quarter. Uh, I mean, in in the Thunder game, they were down by 20 by the time it got to halftime, and they still ended up uh, cutting it and only losing by single digits. But it's one of those things where, dude, you can't 
especially when you go on the road, you cannot get out to 10, 15, 20-point deficits against any team, especially in the West this year. Like, I don't care who you're playing. Uh, you, can, you, you can't let that happen. And I think that's kind of what it was is it seems like they th- they think they can turn it on some nights where it's like they can come out, oh, if you start slow, we can still turn it on. Uh, but it's that's not always going to be the case. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't the case uh, against the Thunder. And then against the Nuggets, when I, when I was looking back at it, they actually, after the first quarter, they actually outscored the Nuggets for the rest of the game after the first quarter. But they just got out to such a horrible start that they really just didn't have a chance for the rest of the game. Right. Yeah, that's kind of like what I noticed uh, from box score observations with the Oklahoma City game, slow start in the first half, and then also, too, in the Denver Nuggets game, they only scored like 14 points in the first quarter, which is incredibly un- uh, unlike them. Um, you know, I'm looking at uh, second spectrum right now, and the Grizzlies are sixth in offensive or in net rating in first quarters with outscoring their opponents by 8.3 points per 100 possessions. And they also rank in the top 10 in offensive rating at 115 points per 100 possessions, top five defense in those situations. And they just started slow. And, you know, I think in that Nuggets game, it was it's all about, for them, it was containing the guys that weren't Jokic and capitalizing on their weak defense. The Denver Nuggets, bottom three defense in the league, uh, I looked at cleaning the glass, and they were one of three teams that give up 100 or more points per 100 possessions in half-court situations. The other two are the Detroit Pistons and San Antonio Spurs, two teams with fan bases that are photoshopping Victor Wimbanyama jerseys on there yep. for them. And so I really thought that this could have been – that could have been a good get-back game. You know, you're on national TV, you know, Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. for the Denver Nuggets, and – Thought, okay, take advantage of the defense, jump on them early. And they got hit first. And they let guys like Aaron Gordon, who was really, really good. I didn't realize that. And I know he's really good, but like, I didn't realize how good he's been this season until yeah. they started talking about it on the TNT broadcast, like 16% shooting of 15 points per game. That's really good. Anyways, besides the point. But they also let guys like Contavious Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, they let those guys get going and jump out to an early lead, and it just felt like, you know, because of that slow first quarter, like, I felt like the Grizzlies, up until, like, or once it was, like, midway through the second quarter, they evened it out the entire game with a little fourth quarter surge, but because of that slow start, they just could never, you know, they would get within, like, 8 to 10, and then the Nuggets would score on two straight possessions. They just could not get any momentum going because of that slow start. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that was a big thing, too, is it felt like every time I think they cut it all the way down to eight or maybe six uh, in like the third quarter uh, after after they came back out from halftime and then uh, the Nuggets go on a run and take it back to 20. And I think that's kind of when it was like, OK, if, if you were going to make the run, you started making the run, uh, you cut it down, you get to single digits, all that. And then they get that run and they get back up to 20 points. And that's kind of when the game it felt like the game was kind of over at that point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for for a positive, I mean, you can always look at the you can always look at the team and say they they fought to the end of the game. They did their best to come back. I could say the thing the same thing about the Thunder game, but I'll just say you got to come out with that same intensity that you had when you were playing the Bucks and 
you just come out. I'm not going to say you're going to come out and go up by 20 in the first quarter against every team, but try to come out with that same intensity. Because really, look, looking at the game, it didn't look like there was like X's and O's things that were wrong. It didn't look like they weren't turning the ball over on a bunch of stupid plays or anything. Like it, it to me, it really just looked like they, they were sluggish. And mm-hmm. it just seemed like they didn't have that same intensity that I've seen them have in other games this year. And I'll say the same thing for the Thunder game. They just came out. They didn't look, they were really locked into the game and the game plan and stuff like that. And the Nuggets definitely were because the Nuggets were trying to make a statement. Uh, because, I mean, with the way that the Grizzlies have played this season, obviously they were number one in the West coming into that. And everybody's talking about the Grizzlies being the best team in the West and stuff like that. Nuggets are hearing that. Nuggets feel like they have the best player in the world on their team. And I think Jokic and those guys, even without Jamal Murray and without Michael Porter Jr., uh, I mean, they still have a pretty solid roster. And Jokic, even though he's not putting up the insane numbers that he has been the last couple years, like stats-wise, uh, if if you watch that game, he had his fingerprints all over the game, whether it was his assist, whether it was his rebounding, whether it's just his presence on the court, even though it's, he, he, he didn't go out and have one of those 30-point triple-double nights, but his his fingerprints were all over that game for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the passes that he, he was d- dropping, unbelievable, unbelievable dimes and obviously generational talent, but one one thing I kind of I noticed with both the Nuggets game and then from looking at the OKC score and the box score there, it it all kind of it kind of shows that the, with the Grizzlies right now, especially without Desmond Bain, it's going to start and end with Jaron Jackson's impact on the game. And obviously, I think this is so impressive that even in 22 minutes and having five fouls, he still had five blocks and three steals, which is just kind of a a testament to his transcendent defensive impact. But I want to get your thoughts on this. I definitely have thoughts on this. Like the whole foul predicament with him, not in the fact that he does foul. It's just the management of him fouling. You know, Taylor Jenkins, if he gets two fouls in the first quarter, he's out until the second quarter. Gets his third foul, he's out again until halftime and fourth quarter, so on and so forth. Just uh, what it, what what are your thoughts on that? Is there any tweaks to the management on that? Is it all on Jack? Is it on Jackson? Is it on Jenkins? Is it on both? How do you kind of see that? Because when you're doing that, you're taking your second best player out of the game right then and there. You're taking your the Dylan Brooks is a is uh, like a heartbeat of sorts to the Grizzlies defense, but Jaron Jackson Jr. is like the oxygen to the defense. He breathes so much yes. life into it, makes it elite, and you're just taking away that advantage when you have him out. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's partly on Jaron, definitely. And for him, it's just being smarter with his fouls, which I will say he has been for most of the season. It's just really this game. I think it's really the second game where he's kind of been in foul trouble like this. But at, when he first came out, uh, it's, it seemed like he's been much better fouling just in general. Uh, I, I think that he's he's a little bit lower on his average in fouls this year. Uh, but it's not just about how many he's having for the entire game. It's that he hasn't had those two fouls in the first quarter often where you have to sit him down, where is you're getting your fourth foul in the fourth quarter instead of the third quarter. And it's just like little stuff like that that I think has been good. Uh, but yeah, I think when it comes down to it, uh, I would say it goes on a little bit of both of them. 
I think that Taylor Jenkins sometimes is a little bit too conservative with not having Jared at the beginning of the game. And then it kind of messes you up where sometimes because of the way that he plays them, you don't get Jaron at the beginning of the game. And then if you do get Jaron at the end of the game and put him back in, it's a Jaron that hasn't played in a long time. He's out of rhythm, a little bit out of sorts. And I think that can be a problem. Uh, so I'd say, I mean, if he gets, but if he gets two fouls in the first quarter, there's not really much you can do about it. Like you, you got to sit him down. You can't risk him getting three fouls before, uh, the end of the first. And I think that's kind of where Taylor Jenkins is looking at it from too. So I'd say it's on both of them. I would like to see him show maybe a little bit more trust in Jaron uh, at times. But the only thing is, is that Jaron also has to earn that trust. And he hasn't, e- even though he has done better with the fouls, if you look at the full body of work since he's been in Memphis, I, I don't think that he's necessarily earned the trust to be like, he's not going to get another foul if I leave him out there. And I think that's kind of where Taylor Jenkins is looking at it. Yeah, and like kind of how I see it is what I, what I notice when Jaron kind of gets in these foul flurries, his body language changes. Like yes. he, his body language is not good when he gets into those foul flurries. And why why keep a guy in when he's not locked in like that? You know, he's that because he's not. Like if your body language is reflecting, reflecting poorly, you're more likely to make another mistake. You're likely to think too hard on it. Like I even saw like in the – tail end of the fourth quarter or in the fourth quarter in the middle of a run Jeff Green was driving down the lane Jackson never moves out of the way but it's like oh well if I contest this get a foul I'm, I'm gonna get a foul called on me yeah it's gonna be my sixth foul you're taking that that factor out I, I see the first quarter because you don't want to have somebody halfway through fouling out with three quarters left to play I get that I would wish for a little bit of a longer leash in the second quarter just kind of stick to a somewhat rotation pattern while maybe taking him out towards the end of the second quarter so he doesn't pick up a fourth going into halftime. But, I mean, that third quarter, just go with your rotation pattern. If he gets his fifth foul in the third quarter, so be it. And also, I think you got to look at it like this also. If you're down by, like, 15 points, it's like, well, you got to put him out there or – it's, you're not even going to need the six foul. You know what I mean? And I think that's – we have seen that in the past where that is an issue too, is, oh, we're going to save Jaron for the fourth quarter. We're going to save Jaron for the fourth quarter. And then the fourth quarter rolls around, and it's like, well, there's not even, even a reason to put him back out there and risk him, you know, getting hurt or something. They're already down by 20 points. And I think that's something that uh, we could see. And, it, yeah, it's it's not a coincidence that a lot of these tough games that they've had is when Jaron gets in foul trouble and stuff like that. But the other thing that I would like to talk about with Jaron is I think they got to find a way to keep him involved on offense because it, it's, it's kind of frustrating because you know that he has a mismatch on almost every night. And in the last three games, uh, he's only taken eight. Eight shot attempts, six shot attempts, and then in that Bucks game, which is kind of a weird one because they were up by so much and everything, he only took two shots in that game. But he was also in foul trouble in that game too. So it's like the foul trouble takes him out of rhythm on offense, uh, and I think it's partly other guys have to learn how to find him in the in the post. I literally saw a tweet this morning before uh, I got on this. They were talking about like the NBA as a whole does not know how to throw post entry passes anymore. Because they they don't do that in AAU. They don't. No. Circuits. They don't. So it's like what like what is what passing the ball to the post. 
I can't just sham God and take a step back three pointer. Like this is a hoop mixtape. Nah, sometimes you just got to throw the ball in the post and let Jaron work when he has to mismatch. Cause he's shown this season so far that when you do that, uh, he's, he's had some really, really impressive games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say for one, and it's also one of those things too in the AAU product, you know, a lot of these taller guys are like, well, to go to the league, I gotta I gotta get my perimeter game up so I can play, I can defend out in the perimeter, I can shoot out in the perimeter, shoot threes, all that. That's gonna get me to the that's my ticket to the league. I think it's very ironic that really the only player in the uh in this next gen era that's been able to throw good entry passes to Jaron Jackson Jr. was Kyle Anderson, who played AAU ball in the early 2010s where like the post game was still like prevalent. So, mm-hmm. I mean, um, and he played, he played with the Spurs and stuff too. So, I mean, yeah, you know, that coach pop is going to get you playing with there. Duncan. Yeah, definitely. Like not even a question. And it's not even just posts. Cause like, I get it. This team, they will they like to do a lot of screen actions. They like a lot of, uh, drive and kick. I like put him in spots where he can kind of relocate on the perimeter to where like, if he's on, if he's on the wing, when John Moran's driving, while the defense is focused on Ja, because T- Ja is a one of the league's more focused drivers in the entire league, relocate to the corner to where Ja can find you. Because Ja jump passes like crazy, to sometimes to a detriment, as we saw in the Denver game. Slot, like relocate to the corner or go into a spot with an empty corner, relocate, get yourself open there. Um. I mean, obviously, we saw that Warriors game in the playoffs where he went off because they started going with the John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. pick and pop. It doesn't yep. have to just be the post. Get him involved in screen actions. Run him off those off-ball screens that you're running for Desmond Bain to try to either find a clean look from three or generate an advantage to where he can drive into a post. Because it doesn't have to just be like, all right, it doesn't need to be like Zebo where it's like, feed the hand, feed Jaron in the post. He has these perimeter skills. He has he's worked on his footwork. His ball handling's good for a guy his size. Let him find those mismatches and advantages through screen actions as if he's like another Desmond Bain. That's what one thing that they Jenkins did a really good job of in his sophomore season, where Jaron Jackson nearly averaged 20 points per game on 40% three-point shooting, is they just ran actions for him where they kind of turned him into like a a 6'10", 6'11", Clay Thompson, or a 6'10", 6'11", Bradley Beal. They let him mismatch his way into pr- good shots on the perimeter or good driving opportunities on the perimeter. And we're just seeing a little bit less of that right now. And especially without Desmond Bain, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. needs to be a, a focal point of the offense a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it does go back partly to not having Desmond Bain out there. But I think it also just goes out to it seems like a lot of times, especially when Jaw's on the court, there's times where guys are watching Jaw with the ball more than like and I, I think I noticed it more in the Nuggets game, a little bit in the Thunder game too, but more in the Nuggets game, where there was times where it would just be Jaw had the ball at the top of the key and there was four guys out on the perimeter and they were all just looking at Jaw with the ball. And I'm like, dude, somebody's got to move. Somebody set a screen. Like y'all got like you can't just stand there and watch him with the ball. And I think that's part of the problem too. Uh, and and I think part of that is, I think when Desmond Bain comes back, you'll you'll see a lot less of that just because of how good he is moving off the ball and moving off the screens and stuff like that. Uh, but it just seems like 
especially it happens more on the road. It seems like at home, the ball is all is always popping, going. Uh, everybody's always moving, all stuff like that, playing great offense, getting tons of assists and stuff. And then they kind of go on the road and it's just not the same. And that's the one thing that I would say. I would say that's the thing that is kind of discouraging about the start, even though they're still tied for first in the West right now. Like, let's not pretend like this is not this is better than most people thought the start was going to be, especially with Jaron missing as much time as he did. But the one thing that has been a little bit worrisome is, I mean, you look at it the last few years, they've been one of the best road teams in the NBA the last couple years. Like last year, they were really good on the road. Uh, I think Desmond Bain coming back will also help with that just because his road shooting splits are insane too. Uh, but they, they've got to figure that part out. And I, I would ask you, if you had to pick one thing for like why they struggle so much on the road right now, what would you say it is? I think it, a lot of it kind of just boils down to availability, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm looking at a lot of these games or these road games in particular. Um, obviously, you know, they they beat Houston. So I'm just like kind of going down the road games. They beat Houston, and then they had that third game in four nights early in the season against Dallas. That was kind of a wash. They beat Sacramento. They have John Bain. They lose both games in Utah. One game they don't have John. One game they don't have Bain. They have John Bain versus Portland and Sacramento. They win. Rest game against Washington where it's no John, no Bain. Lose. New Orleans, you're just getting Jaron back. You don't have Bain. Loss. Brooklyn, no jaw, Jaron, or Bain. Lose. And New York, John, Jaron. Minnesota, whatever that was. And then obviously you beat Detroit with John, Jaron, and also their Detroit. Like, I like their team, but they're not good right now. And Oklahoma City, Denver, like, those are more games too where it's like, okay, you have your guys, but that's probably a time where it's like, okay, you're kind of feeling you, you're you're on a high from that winning streak. You're on the high from being at home, and also too, like you said earlier in the show, you have a team in Denver who they're at the top of the Western Conference that everyone's talking about Memphis and everyone's talking about New Orleans. So when they got a chance to play those teams, they want to hit them in the mouth because it's like, hey, we need we need that clout too. Um, so I think a lot of it is availability because I, I know DeMichael pointed it out, and like last year, like there was the whole thing of home game Bane versus road game Bane, but Having a guy like Desmond Bain next to John Moran who can take pressure off of him, but also a guy that's going to put pressure on defenses with his three-point shooting and his playmaking, it opens up more than people realize, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I Granted, I know people have been talking about, oh, the Grizzlies missed Desmond Bain, but it's not just the three-point shooting. It's just how he leverages that into everything else and how it complements John Morant. It, they, they miss him, and I think their road woes are about – availability but also it's a product of the parity in this league because i mean i'm looking at the western conference right now it's like the Orleans or denver nine and eight on the road memphis six and nine new orleans five and eight phoenix five and nine um sacramento's 500 on the road dallas is four and 11 the golden state warriors are three and 16 on the road even though they're 12 and two at home it's just a product of the parity in this league where all these teams are so tight where it kind of sometimes can just boil down to who has in a very closely matched game, who has the home court advantage because that team is the odds on favorite to win that game. Yeah. And and I, I agree. I think it is a lot of 
the West being so well because everybody came into the season talking about how much better the West is. And if you look at if you look at the records, you might think, oh, well, that was over exaggerated. But I think it's actually when you look at the West, the reason why everybody is kind of so bunched up is because they're all pretty good. There's not mm-hmm. that one team that is just, you know, miles away better. Like last year you went to it. Oh, well, the Warriors and the Suns were just rolling through everybody, especially at this point in the season. I don't think either of them had lost five games yet at this point in the season last year. Right. Then you come into this year and it's like every single team, like I would say every single team that's in the currently in the top six still has a chance to be uh, be the one seed if they turn it on, because mm-hmm. it's like the the way that it's, it's so close. And there's a lot of teams that you would expect to be higher, like Dallas and Golden State, who I mean, they have great players and stuff. I know Steph is out, but you got to think those teams are going to figure it out as the season goes on and move up a little bit. But at the same time, base like we're already a quarter through the season. Like we're, we're done with this. It's a small sample size. Like it's to the point to where it's like, if this is what your team is looking like, this is what I'm thinking your team is. Unless there's some major injury that that's that you're going to have coming back off the bench. Uh, So I, I'm, I am excited for these Western conference playoffs and, kind of the Grizzlies place in it but like I said the Grizzlies the Grizzlies are in a great spot though they're tied for first right now uh they're technically second because they lost to Denver if they had beat Denver they'd still be first mm-hmm. uh and they have a chance uh to beat a couple of the other really top tier teams in the west on this next trip uh even though the Warriors aren't as good as they were and Steph isn't playing but they also got the Suns and the Pelicans coming up and I think all of those games are going to be very important when it comes down to the end of the season, whether it's seeding or tiebreakers and stuff like that, all of these games uh, up on this next stretch are going to be very important. It's going to be very important. It's also going to be very fun to watch. Um, just kind of as we're wrapping up the show here, like you you point out this stretch, and we don't want to get too far into it, but they got Phoenix tomorrow night, Warriors on Sunday for Christmas, and then they travel home and get Phoenix on Tuesday hit the road for a bit to go to Toronto and in new, they have a new year's Eve, new year's day back to back with new Orleans and Sacramento, very tough stretch that it won't be defining for them, but it's going to be able it's going to be a time where they can make a lot of statements. Um, well, let's just focus on these uh, next two games. Um, just going to kind of ask you here, what, what are two, what is one thing that you want to see uh, from the Grizzlies? Let's, let's start in particularly just one thing you want to see with the game against the Phoenix Suns tomorrow night and what should be, hopefully a bounce-back game for them. Yeah, like I said earlier, I just want to see them come out with that intensity that I saw when they played the Bucks. Because when they came out in that Bucks game, they came out and they were like, we want to prove that we are the best team in the NBA. So when we're we're bringing Giannis is coming into town, we are going to show the Bucks, we're going to show the NBA that we can beat a top-tier contending NBA team uh, by 40. You know what I mean? And... Not to say that they're going to go out and beat the Suns by 40 and stuff like that, but I just want to see them come out with that same intensity and get out to a good start. And I think it's going to start on defense. Uh, I mean, part part of it is going to have to be the offense. I mean, you can't have 14 points in the first quarter either. Uh, but then again, they, they might have only scored 14, but they also gave up 35. 
So it was mm-hmm. like it, it it went both ways in that last game. So I think it's really going to start on the defensive end, uh, some more early deflections, getting out of fast break, uh, playing the game that they have gotten used to playing. Uh, because even though they have been better as a half-court team this year, that's still not the Grizzlies' strength. Their strength is to get out in the fast break and stuff like that. And I would also say I want to see some more Zaire Williams minutes. I mean, because I think he's still trying to find his way back. I think he needs to find his role on this team uh, because I think once he settles in, that could also be a big help for just the Grizzlies as a whole. I totally agree. And it's really kind of a bummer that, like, he just hasn't shot the ball well at all. And I think me me saying that is kind of putting it nicely. I think he's like 1-15 of so far from three this season. But like you said, he's a key point of this team. And actually, fun fact, in that game, they lost by 14. Um, he led the team in plus minus as the Grizzlies outscored their opponents by 12 points or outscored Denver by 12 points whenever he was on the floor. If you take out that garbage time in it with um, Tillman, LaRavia, and Chandler, it's plus eight. And I, I, I do think that he's a key part of that rotation when it comes to just he's an, he's just another key defender who he can get out in transition he can kind of create defensive havoc alongside Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, but also he's an important part of this team. Like, I understand I understand David Roddy's been playing good, but when it comes down to it, Zaire Williams is more important to your team's success than David Roddy when you're going to get into April and May and hopefully June. Try to get him started into the five. Run some stuff for him. Get him to where t- – the. Jaius Jones and John Morant are finding him in the corner or finding him off cuts. Let him get his confidence up because that could really bolster a Grizzlies wing rotation that kind of needs it right now. Um, I, I think it's one thing that's hilarious where, like, you know, they go on a two game winning streak and everything from the seven game winning streak, just everybody just like forgets about because, it's like, oh, the sky's falling. They lost two games in a row. What's going on? It's a two game season. That's what it is. But I yeah. do think getting Zaire Williams going, that that would probably be what I say too. And I think uh, Phoenix in particular provides a, a great platform to do so, even if it's on the road. I mean, I'm looking at the guys off the bench, and it's Landry Shamit, Dwayne Washington, and uh, Ish Ish Wayne. Right? Like I, I think that's that provides a a good basis for hey, maybe Zaire Williams can find his rhythm, find his flow, and um, really return to being a uh, positive factor for the Grizzlies uh, lineup yeah definitely and the thing about the Suns all season they've been talking about is their bench not being good so I think it it could be a good opportunity for them to try to get Zaire involved because I mean when you look at both both teams you could say that Zaire might be the best player off of either team's bench uh, out of this game so I think that that's going to be something that's going to be important uh, but, yeah, I know the Suns have been struggling. Uh, they started out looking like they were going to be just as good as they were last year, and they've kind of had some struggles over the past couple weeks as well. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But I think this this is the game. That they, they need to win this game and kind of get a bounce back. They need to have some momentum before they go uh, into into Golden State on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to go into Golden State losing three games in a row, and then also, two, you don't want to go in with the idea the I mean I don't think they're thinking about this at all but you know it going in with already losing two straight games on national TV into Golden State and then the idea of losing a third straight national TV game 
may, may not be good for agendas and narratives, but I, I digress. But uh, let's close the show with this. We're They're playing on Christmas, and Bryson, you're actually going to the Christmas Day game. So that – you're still all right? Yes, I am. All right, yes, cool. Am. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just making sure. I remember you telling me that. So um, obviously everyone's Christmas wish is Desmond Bain's return. Well, let's let's put that aside. What what's your Christmas Day wish for the uh, Grizzlies Warriors matchup? Besides Desmond Bain's return, besides the Grizzlies win, what do you want to see? That's such a good question because you just picked the two things that I, I would have picked for my Christmas wish and told me that I couldn't pick it. So I'm gonna say I want a Jaron Jackson Jr. twenty plus point performance in the Bay Area. That's what I'd ask for for Christmas. I love it. I, I want to see a Dylan Brooks, Clay, Clay Thompson double tech. I, I wanna, <laughs> oh, nah, okay. I want to see that's, that. That's a good pick. That's a uh, that's a fun pick. I want to see that. But if I wanted to uh, pit like an actual like X's and O's kind of thing, I just want to see. I want to see Dylan Brooks either turn off the water on Clay or shut down the pool party. That that's what I want to see very badly. I I think. Um, I this is probably a subject for another podcast, but I think because of the fouling. And because of his offensive inefficiency, his defense often gets overlooked when it comes to uh, national discussions of like all defensive teams. And also, too, like he's a wing defender. There's a lot of good wing defenders in the league. But I mean, mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks has shown for the past three seasons that he can shut the water off on everybody or anybody's favorite superstar, um, whether it's Steph Curry, uh, Luka Doncic, Shea Jodis Alexander. Um, and I, I think really showing, his defensive chops once again on national TV and stopping a Jordan pool. Who's been red hot since Steph Curry's went down. He's really stepped up for them or even clay Thompson, even though he's not the same clay Thompson, it, it's a lot better than the alternative, especially for a lot of, for a guy that's been talking a lot of shit about the Grizzlies. But um, yeah, I, I would, I want to see Dylan Brooks just really kind of be on his villain flow. Uh, on the Christmas Day game, it'd, it'd be great for the Dylan Brooks Island agenda. Oh yeah, especially because you know he's gonna get booed every time he touches the every time he touches the ball. Oh yeah, I Maybe mean, still think about even Gary though Payton. even though Gary Payton, yeah, even though Gary Payton doesn't play, uh, Gary Payton II doesn't play for the Warriors anymore. I think that they're still gonna remember that they didn't like Dylan Brooks before that anyway. They they're they're gonna find a new new reason to hate Dylan Brooks because they've hated Dylan Brooks every single time that he plays out there. It's gonna be the double tech. That's what's that's gonna be this time. He's gonna get that double tech with uh Clay and and the boo birds are just gonna rain down in the chase center. <laughs> yeah, I mean that 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 sounds about right. I mean, if you go back to the playoffs, I mean it was like that every time he had the ball. So it's not even I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets that treatment from the opening tip again, especially uh if he's guarding Clay. And they think he's fouling Clay and all that because that's that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, it's like, hey, he's not fouling Clay. Clay just can't dribble. So that's all it is. <laughs> but yeah, um, Bryson, do you have anything else you want to add before we close the show here? Uh, nah, I would just say, please be sure to enjoy the Christmas game. I know that the Grizz has never had one before. Uh, so I'm going to enjoy it regardless of what happens. Uh, just sit back and think about the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies are playing on Christmas. That's never happened before. So I'll just enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't be a Scrooge on Christmas. Enjoy the Christmas Day game. 
Uh, it's something the Grizzlies have never had before. We never experienced this as a fan base. It just shows that, you know, they've, they've come a long way. Like, this organization and fan base has come a long way. And let's just enjoy it. Let's see what happens. Obviously, if uh, things go sideways and they get blown out or something, sure, that, that, that'll be kind of a bummer. But, hey, at least we're watching it on Christmas. Just drink some eggnog to drown out the pain. But not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate this. And Bry- Bryson, since this is a hybrid a little little collab here, I'll let you close out here. But, I mean, I know y'all can follow uh, – Bryson, right? I'll let him plug it in. But I mean, if you follow John Morant, you'll you'll end up following Bryson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Nah. See, you got to stop with that. But that's pretty funny. Nah. But you can follow me on Twitter as always at Bryson Ray Three and find all of my work with Grizzly Bear Blues on the Grizzly Bear Blues page, whether it's writing or podcast, all of that stuff will be there. And be sure to like and follow all all the stuff on the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. Because we got a lot of other great podcasts with the core four. Of course, we got the GBB Live and the Next Gen Podcast with this joint episode. And uh, we got Starting Five. We got a we got a lot of great stuff. Grizzly Bear Beds. There's a lot of great stuff coming from this podcast network. Uh, so just be sure to support all of that. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. See you later. See you next week, everybody. And happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We'll be back next yes, week. Yes, for sure. <laughs>